Hello and welcome again to a new encounter, a new quarter of the encounter. To this week or this quarter, we'll be going through, of course, um, by the I think by the time you watch this, we've already had the beginning of Lent with Ash Wednesday. I think if I'm doing my calculations correctly. Ish, ish. Or if you watch it early in the week, you won't. But you right. know, yeah, close. But we're starting the journey, right? Now we're turning, yeah. we, we've spent some time in John and now we're turning to the cross. Right. So we're preparing, preparing, preparing. Now we're getting into we're getting into the cross and the and the passion. And so looking forward to it. Our writer this quarter is uh, Reverend Jennifer Newell. She's at the Cleveland Church, I think First Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Cleveland, Tennessee. She did a really great job. Um, I did a couple of lessons as well. So I did a very great job. <laughs> anyway. Um of course you I did. Like this quarter. I like this quarter a lot. I think you're gonna learn a lot. I think uh, it's gonna the discussion questions are good so um there's just and it's a special time in the church lent easter these kinds of things it's it's just a really good time um so far as uh well my name's chris i am the adult ministry coordinator for the ministry council of the Cumberland presbyterian church and i'm gonna pass it over here to becky uh to see if she has any announcements uh she's she can introduce herself yeah, hi, I am I'm Becky Zardi. I am the Director of Ministry with Women for the Ministry Council for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, which is a really long sentence to say, and if you take a deep breath, you can get it all done in one way. Um, upcoming things, um, you know, summer missions, blah, 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 that word, missions um, magazine will be coming out, so be looking for convention registration, and um, that's going to be in Albuquerque, New Mexico in June, and we would love to have you join us, so please be watching for that. Also, remember, if you have any young folks in your church, college ages, uh, we're having the um, yeah. young adult cohorts. Uh, you can find that at the uh, on the website somewhere. Uh, it's a journey. It is cpcmc.org forward slash YA cohorts. And YA. you will find us. Yep, there you go. Ta-da. Right. So our scripture for today is going to be from John 11 verses 1 through 8 and 17 through 27. But really it's the whole, it, it's just the whole chapter. Um, but you run out of space in these uh, lessons. So you right. got to do what you got to do. So John 11 titled the resurrection of life, our prayer for illumination Holy God, creator of life, you call us out of our dark places, offering us the grace of new life. When we see nothing but hopelessness, you surprise us with the breath of your spirit. Call us out of our complacency and routines, set us free from our self-imposed bonds, and fill us with your spirit of life, compassion, and peace. In the name of Jesus, your anointed one, we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, and then our... Um, Memory verse is from John eleven twenty seven. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, the one coming into the world. That's the good confession. Um, and then last announcement by way of introduction, if you have someone in your church that would um, do well with an audio recording of these lessons, we do have those now too. So, but cfleming at cumberland.org, if you can um, just get in touch with me, then I'll send you the links on how to how to get those things okay all right so for our introduction today we start off with i think a pretty good um pretty good discussion question so i want to yeah. i want to get that how do you view the miracles in the bible have you experienced something that felt like a miracle do you believe in miracles again the backdrop is this you know the biggest miracle really probably in 
at least John. Right. Died from the resurrection, but you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. That, those are great questions that she starts us off with, because I think we have that debate amongst Christians today is whether or not miracles continue to happen. Um, in my perspective, just for me, I, I believe in miracles. I think, I think there are things that have happened in my life that have no other explanation. They do not have a, a natural way of saying, because this, this, this happened, that that's why it occurred. There are things that I just, I can't explain, um, that I've witnessed, been part of. So how do I view the miracles of the Bible? I think they happened. I, uh, you know, I, I truly believe that our supernatural God that we serve somehow supernaturally, um, did something to raise Lazarus from the dead, to multiply the loaves and fishes and feed 5,000 people. You know, I think, I think these, I think they actually happened. I think they truly occurred. Yeah. So the way I would come at these things is I don't care whether there's natural explanations. I don't care. Like the scripture presents us. This is the story of God intervening in the lives of people. And so my base would be that scripture is revealed from God for the purpose of knowing God. Miracles, I'm taking them because it's revealed from God. And sure. I don't now how that carries on post-biblically. We get stuck on, which I think we'll talk about later, but we get stuck on like these scientific reasonings or I'm not embarrassed anymore to think that God does miracles or miracles happen. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me anymore. If people think that I like believe in, believe in that, I, it doesn't bother me anymore. Right. Good. Just, it shouldn't. No. When I was growing up, you have this pride thing. Like sure. you don't want to be viewed as that weak minded person who just believes fairy tales or things like that. And then I was like, you know, I've lived long enough to see where people are healed and we can say it's medicine, but I don't know. I'll just, yeah. When it comes Sometimes, to biblical miracles, I just take it because it, it's scripture and it's revealed to me. Yeah, sure. And I think sometimes even the medical miracles that happen with modern medicine, there are still parts of it that are not explainable with Western medicine that you just like the healing shouldn't have happened that fast or shouldn't have happened in that way you know what i mean yeah. i mean it's just yeah there's a lot of really cool parts to that so the other thing that we get in the text is and uh, reverend newell brings up is this particular story miracle story is longer and really kind of in a different order than most of the miracle stories as she brings up you usually have the miracle and then the teaching but here sure. we have this extended uh kind of dialogue where Jesus then says his I am statement or teaches Martha and then the miracle. And right. uh, I guess the middle of the page three there, um, second paragraph above the subheading exploring the scripture, it says you might think that a dead man walking out of the tomb is the high point of any story, but the heart of the story lies elsewhere. And then if you go down right before the subheading break, People were surprised, impressed, or even threatened by the miraculous feat, but failed to see it as a sign of God's active presence in their midst. 
Mm -hmm. when we think of miracles or like maybe even when you brought up modern uh, medical miracles how easy is it for us to get hung on the miracle or get hung on the healing and then forget we've been healed by by god right. I mean, we've, yeah. we don't go far enough in the sign like the that's the, true i am yeah that that's a really good point i hadn't thought about that but they were probably hung up on the fact that lazarus was raised from the tomb and not some people not recognizing that it was jesus because of his divine nature that he could do this and I, I agree i think there's things that happen in our life today in our world today that we were excited about that healing we're excited about that miracle that happened we are excited about that sign but then do we ever give the recognition to god saying yeah god god did that god caused us i mean this is the reason that that it happened i don't know that's a good point happened to the pharisees all the time like last week yeah <laughs> Talk about the blind man nobody cared about the blind man seeing no everybody was preoccupied with something stupid and they couldn't they couldn't glorify the healer yeah yeah exactly yeah terrible people give credit where credit is due as one of my girlfriends love to say give credit where credit's due all right are you want anything else on that introduction section no i think that was a great introduction really got us into thinking about the whole raising lazarus from the dead the whole concept of it let's get into this exploring the scripture i think mm -hmm. uh reverend neil does a good job bringing us into a couple different questions one when we read scripture and we say things like bethany it seems as there there's two different bethanies and so you'll have uh you'll you can get into that there's a judean bethany and then there's a perean bethany the one that we are um concerned with today is the one closest to jerusalem and it's also described as the village of martha and mary right uh, yes so that is uh pretty good she also brings up the translation of bethany is the house of the poor so yeah um I'll start with that. What you you got anything there you want to bring up? Yeah, there were a couple things that she really brought up. So talking about the house of the poor, one of the points that Reverend Neil brought up is that we forget that there's other forms of poverty. She says even economically secure people may suffer from relational, spiritual, emotional, or educational poverty. And that is such a great thought for us as we look at the people within our church, you know, that people that come to our church, especially if they're impoverished, you can usually tell that they come from that kind of a background. And so when we talk about poverty, that's what we're usually describing. But what about spiritual poverty? You know, is there spiritual poverty in the church? I would say yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I think um, a lot of times in our culture, we view our spirituality as just what we do on Sunday mornings. And that is as a huge spiritual poverty. Um, I think as you and I are working on and studying for this young adult cohort, again, if you have college age people that are interested in spiritual disciplines, please sign up for this cohort. Um, because that's something that we're really talking about as we're going through this cohort and things that I've been thinking about personally is how do you increase your spiritual richness? right? Um, because we get so focused on just everyday life that we forget. It goes back to that miracle concept that we forget who's behind our life, our everyday life. Um, and instead of giving credit where credit is due and giving credit to God, we're just looking at ourselves. And that's part of being impoverished spiritually. 
is that you're not recognizing God working in your everyday life. I think also, so I don't, I don't know if John meant to do this. I'm pretty sure he, he probably didn't, but maybe he highlighted for a reason. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were well off. Mm -hmm. And so then they live in a place that's translated um, as a house of four. And even though they're well off, somebody dies, you're still going to die. Sure. You still need a Messiah. And so in some sense to say, you know, Bethany and then Lazarus is dead. How much material can you gain to keep you from dying? And you can't. And so even, even in that station, even Martha and Mary, who have proven in the previous chapters of John that they love Jesus and Jesus loved them, they're still going to go through those trials and tribulations. You still need Jesus, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that poverty, um, and, and, and so then it's addressed. Uh, we're going to get into this too, so I won't mm -hmm. get on it. But the I am statements, I am the living water. I am the bread of life, right? So don't yep. disconnect someone being rich or material materially blessed with with their spirituality yeah yes yeah we definitely have to be careful of that and then the other thing that she brings up in this is that john referred to bethany as the village of mary and her sister martha well this is luke 11 1 and their home belonging to the two sisters as opposed to a male relative is not typical. The portrayal of Mary as a student would certainly have raised some eyebrows in those days. These details are reminders of the counter-cultural nature of Jesus's ministry and of God's kingdom. I loved that because we often just gloss over these small tidbits of information, not recognizing the significance or the importance of, of like Luke referring to Bethany is the village of Mary and her sister Martha and how how radical that was in that time period you know today we're just like mm, whatever you know but that was that was a radical statement to make in that time period that you're recognizing the women of the family and not the male heir yep it's and when we say countercultural, um it means against the standards of the world and a lot of times there are I think this is a good conversation to have in class in today's world. Like mm -hmm. right now, because everybody's travelized or everybody um, is taking their bias to mm. a, a great degree. And so sometimes it's the gospel that is considered the cultural, the evangelical conservative gospel is what's taking as the culture. And then you have um, people attacking that and their viewed as countercultural. And the gospel is viewed as cultural. And I think there's some truth in it because when the gospel becomes cultural, then it also loses its power and it loses its bite. Mm. And so part of what we do in studying is not so much to get entrapped into the cultural gospel of things, but how cutting edge the gospel can be when it cuts into the leftist or the right culture, the conservatives or the liberal, like Jesus Christ was neither. Jesus Christ was Jesus Christ, <laughs> and he yeah. could point out the flaws of everyone, but he offered grace and transformation, and that's the countercultural part of it, is that, yes. uh, so anyway, I think there's something to be said, or maybe defined as countercultural. It's against mm -hmm. the world, that which is against Christ, and then how does Christ counter that? Yeah, absolutely. Good, good thought process. Um. The what else in there yet? 
the other thing that she brought up was that there was some discussion on the two different Lazaruses um, in the next paragraph. Well, third paragraph up on page four is the Lazarus in today's story, the same Lazarus from the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And she brings up that there's quite a bit of conjecture um, about this. In, in my personal opinion from study, I don't, I don't think so. I think we had talked about um, the Lazarus and the rich man story in a, in a previous encounter episode. And we had talked that it was more of an allegorical story. Um, not necessarily though, though, you know, there's nothing wrong with you believing that, that it was an actual happening. Um, but I think it was more of an allegory. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think the two are connected. I don't think so either. Um, and I don't, but again, it's one of those things like get the point of the story. Don't get hung up. Yep. Don't, yep. don't spend 30 minutes trying to prove one, one way or the other, get the point. Yeah, uh, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so then, uh, they also bring up, I love this. Lazarus is dead mm-hmm. it says for four days. And then Jennifer, Reverend Jennifer brings us into different, you know, customs of the Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish culture when it comes to death and and one of the things I like I, I'm trying to figure out I don't know this but like you hire professional mourners yes and these people didn't just come and cry but they were also involved almost like a uh, almost like a um, funeral director in some sense I mean they yeah. made sure things were done and they they helped mourners mourn uh, yeah. and so they they had more than just a role of um, you know of being loud drama yeah yeah. yeah of, of drama yeah um and that's something i, I love this whole concept of it because it was very common i mean in in all of the, those cultures um to have professional mourners so they would they would hire people that would come in and cry and scream and wail and tear at their clothes and pull at their hair and just and it was you know in our western culture we're like oh like, yeah. because we're so emotionless, we come out of that Victorian where we don't show any kind of emotion. So at our funeral services, we're just so very stoic and we try not to be just overwhelmed with just visible grief. And in this culture, it was a sign of respect to have mourners at the funeral service. The more mourners you had, the more popular this person was the more of an influence in in their life that they had on their community um so it was a respect thing to to outwardly show the inward turmoil and grief that you were suffering from um you know this was um incredibly important to that culture incredibly uh, thing i would want to bring up is the jewish people after there was decomposition and you had the bones you would then go gather the bones and put them in an ossuary yeah. box uh, i don't want to chase the rabbit down the trail but um there is a debate as to whether they found james the brother of jesus's ossuary oh, yeah. box so you can look that up um some people say that's authentic others you know don't but it's debatable so it's an, look it's that an up. intriguing thought it, it is. is definitely an intriguing thought now, let and me I, bring this. Oh, go ahead. I do like how they talked about too um, that even though the Jewish did not bury their people with treasures and gold and that sort of stuff, that um, that the tombs were still sealed though to keep uh, wild animals 
at bay so that they weren't coming in and and just ravaging the dead bodies yeah yeah so stones at the tombs are important yeah are important that was an important element yeah and then the last thing that she brought up that i really loved and i think it's important for you all to talk about in your sunday school class is this concept this idea that in the jewish culture that the soul stayed close to the grave for three days, hoping to be able to reunite with the body. And then after that, once the soul sees that the color of its face has changed, the soul leaves the body for good. That was, that's the middle of the page on page five. This is incredibly an important detail in the story that John tells us that Lazarus was dead for four days, four days, not three days. This is really important that he tells us it was four days that Lazarus was in the tomb. Um, because that is also another way of proving the divinity of Jesus, proving yeah. that he was the Messiah, that even if the soul left right after the three day stay, that Jesus could still call the soul back and reunite it with the body. So that was, that's a really important element. Don't skip over that one. It's almost as if like in the last, when we were talking about the blind man from birth, so this is yes. another that doubling down of nobody can do anything except for God. Yes. Um, so then I want to ask, do you think uh, this discussion question, do you think much about the resurrection, about eternal life? In what ways does this promise shape your here and now life? And Jennifer asked that because Reverend Jennifer asked that because um, in the, even in the first century church, you had some Jews that didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. You did have some. Sadducees. Yeah. And so, um, what difference does it make? And I've had this, like there are coming up in the Easter lesson, or maybe it's the week after Easter. I don't know. In this quarter I wrote, and you know, there's, uh, Christians who don't necessarily believe in the resurrection, right? right? They just believe in the metaphorical understandings of scripture. And I don't, I believe in the resurrection, but why do you, or do you? Hmm. I, yes, Absolutely. I don't, I don't know if I think about it a whole lot, you know, honestly. Okay. Now that I'm really thinking about this, I probably think about the resurrection more when I am present with somebody who has passed away with their family. Um, that is probably when we discuss it most because it's obviously right there in front of our face in a very poignant way, um, to think about the resurrection. Um, in what ways does this promise shape your here and now? I think, I think an understanding that you will be resurrected and, and be in the presence of Christ. I think, gosh, that should shape our here and now. <laughs> that should be like an amazing concept of how we live our life, of understanding that, that what we're going through right now is really honestly just temporary. You're a stranger. That this wow. is just, yeah, that this is just a, a blip uh, on the monitor, you know, that what the trials and tribulations that you face here are nothing compared to eternity. And maybe that helps you understand or, or, or at least cope better with uh, some of the things that you have to go through on this side, that this is nothing. I have changed again. You'll read, we'll read about it in, in, um, the lesson upcoming for Easter, but some of me just thinks like if, 
even if you could make a utopia down here where everything was right and everything was good, you're still going to die. Yeah. And if this, like Paul says about the resurrection, if it's only in this life that we have hope, we are of all people to be pitied. And, and I think that is so, and then the older I get and see people pass away or the older I get and see how we waste our, I don't want to say waste our time, but we put our hope in some utopia here on earth. It's just a waste of time on both. It's just the gospel saves eternally. As Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So that's where it, it, it helps me. Like, but it has an earthly effect because I then try to make decisions based not on the world values, but on love, mercy, grace, holiness. Sure. Um, because I think that's a better way to live fundamentally. And it will bring me to a better situation in life. Even if it's persecution and trouble, like Jesus says, I feel like I'd yeah. be living for something right, not living for something that will pass away. Yeah, that's true. Eternal minded. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. So we'll go on yeah. there. And um, the next discussion question I love. That was a good right. one. That was so, a good one. Jesus begins to weep, right? And he shows us. Yeah. Yeah. So like, if you're one of those kids. John 11, 35. And, that was me. <laughs> and you have to memorize a verse and you're a smart aleck. And you're yeah, like, Jesus wept. Every yeah. Sunday, man, that was, that was my go-to. Because <laughs> we don't, we get, so you get like, obviously compassion from Jesus, but these raw emotional stories you get at the temple and you get here trying to think of other times where you see Jesus just being emotionally raw. And this is one of them. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to bring up because Reverend Neil, the does, garden, uh, yeah, the garden, he was emotionally raw. Um, yeah. On the cross too, I would say. Mm, that's yeah. yeah. Um, Reverend Neil brings up the word that we translate. He was moved or, or had compassion. Be deeply moved. Yeah. Yeah. It's more, less than just like resignation of a bad thing and you wish something was better but it's also a little bit of anger in it like you're you're sad with a little anger and so mm -hmm. what is it in the conversation do you think becky that uh when jesus sees martha weeping his friend is dead what's causing him this kind of compassionate anger this, anger and oh gosh well you know mary and martha and lazarus were I think she says in here, the only people that Jesus says that he loved them. Right. So, and, and that's, that's that deep friendship love. When I, when I talk about, I love my family, you know, if, if somebody in my family passes away, I am, I am moved to deep compassion and hurt and just anger and frustration, but just uh, deep contrition too, just terribly sorrowful. And I think that's what we're getting a glimpse of here because he is in deep contrition for Mary and Martha and they're, and they're real tears that they're shedding because their brother is dead. You know, this is their brother. They loved him. Jesus loved him. He's lost his friend. And I think you're seeing this raw emotion of, of just this frustration and anger. But I also look at it on the flip side, because then you have not only this deep contrition for his friends, but then for the people that are gathered around, because he knows that some of them are going to get this, but a lot of them aren't. 
a lot of them aren't going to understand what he's about to do. And then I can only imagine on the flip side of that, his friend has been dead four days. His friend has probably experienced a better place over the last four days than he ever did on life. And he is fixing to call this person back. And he's humanity. And he stinketh. <laughs> he needs a bath. Um, and I can only imagine also the deep sorrow that he's feeling because he knows where he is yeah. and what he is experiencing. And now he's going to call him back to continue ministry here on earth in amongst these people that aren't going to believe him and amongst these people that are going to persecute him. And he's going to suffer because of that. So I think there's, you know, with the divinity in mind, not just the humanity, the humanity is sorrowful and, and, and frustrated and angry but also the divinity i think is also very sorrowful and frustrated yeah um in my mind i've come to where i think jesus being the agent of creation all things were created through him as john says in the prologue Mm -hmm. he sees what sin and death have wrought yeah and it hurts sure if you know the you know, I've got some paintings, like one up there in my window. If this, if a house fire started, if that one uh, got burned up, I wouldn't care so much. But I've got a couple that my kids have drawn for me that aren't as pretty as that one. But it's much but more deeply more. meaningful. And when you see it destroyed, I couldn't imagine. That's, you know, like the tornado that happened. Imagine it's not just a house. There's memories that are gone from those families and, and home has yeah. been ruptured. And yeah, it's a building, but it's your building. It's your home. It's the place yeah. where connections were made. And I think that is frustrating. I'm sure that people, and especially in that tornado last, you know, last month, whatever, I bet they just wanted to screen, just go somewhere and screen yeah. uh, because it's not the way it's supposed to be. And people are hurt and nobody did yeah. anything necessarily wrong. But, uh, and so I think when Christ sees sin, eat the world. And like you said too, uh, it's frustrating that people have an invitation and will take it to something better and something deeper. I think that's where I'm at on that one. Yeah. Yep. Anything good, else? Good discussion that question. That's all I've got on that one. All that's right. Good question. So now we're going to dig a little deeper uh, and we're going to talk briefly about uh, the different resurrection stories. What makes this one different? Length is certainly one of them for sure. Yeah. You want to have a really good, uh, conversation. Look up at Second Kings thirteen passage, where um, there's a man who is killed. I fell in the grave, and then pop goes the weasel. He's back, right? <laughs> so I'm not prepared to talk about that, but there's some spiritual significance there yeah. uh, that you can you can look up. But it, I, I think Reverend Neil brings it up. It's the it's the power of God that makes me life possible where none currently exist. Yes. And I think what we get from those things is oftentimes in John, whether it's the blind person, the lame person, whatever, God uses physical things to display a spiritual reality. We're not just, we're living, but we're dead spiritually, mm-hmm. unless the spirit of Christ quickens our, our spirit and our lives, our hearts to, to walk with God. Yeah. So that's absolutely Um, what you got? I think that connects with 
in the middle of page six, there was a sentence that you said you really liked. It says the life Jesus offers is connected to light, hinges on belief, and is eternal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great sentence. And and that is we are we are, and I think we're gonna talk a little bit maybe about it in the learning from the scripture, but we are living in the kingdom of god that is here and present now we can be but it's not yet consummated and and if we have jesus if we are connected to this light that hinges on belief then we have this eternal life that is that is promised to us and so we could live with the kingdom values here understanding that it's not going to be completely realized until we get there but we still have that opportunity to live like we're living in the kingdom now. And, and that requires, mm, now that requires Chris, a lot of mercy and grace and peace to our fellow man. It does. And that's, and that's a hard one. <laughs> that's a hard one. That is a hard one. It is tough. Mm. Um, yeah. It's inconvenient on occasion uh, on occasion yeah especially when we're living in i and then you hit on it before that we're in a time period where everything just feels so very tri tribalized that we all have our own camp and we're all hanging in uh wherever that is and we're and you have to be able to if you're living the kingdom values now you offer mercy and grace and peace to people outside of your tribe yeah whether you agree with them whether you believe them whether it doesn't matter you you offer those kingdom values to them because you're living in, in the kingdom now yep and i think also um we'll talk about it more like you said but i'll, I'll wait i guess okay George okay impersonation but yes there's a difference between living and living well so yeah. eternal life could be terrible if yeah. you don't like your life it'd be terrible but could if you're be. living a good life you might want it more mm-hmm mm-hmm um, she brings up all the I am statements. Yes. Right? So maybe since they're all right there in Sunday school class, you talk about the difference, like the bread of life, light of the world, the door, you know, the good shepherd, these kinds of things. Yep. So maybe you take a little moment in context of this, when eternal life is connected with light, goodness, whatever it is, I forgot what she said, but like, what is the qualities that Jesus is bringing into life or inviting you to experience? Yeah. Mm -hmm. then the, um she talks about the different miracles like you have the seven mm -hmm. ims and you have the seven miracles uh, i want to read the middle paragraph starting at as spectacular as it may must have been to see lazarus walk out of the tomb jesus's miracle is only a temporary reprieve lazarus will eventually die again skip one uh skip that jesus's death and resurrection and also or it brings him, oh, Lord have mercy, that was terrible, bringing him back to life point, bringing him back to life, comma, I think, points us toward God's ultimate act, Jesus's death and resurrection, and also to the resurrection and eternal life, which Jesus's sacrifice secures for all who believe. So mm -hmm. um, to make a short story long, uh, <laughs> the fact is, is that, yes, this is a demonstration of what will happen 
for eternity for everyone, yeah. not just yes. a temporary life here on this earth. Yeah. Wow, that was terrible. Help me out. That, that was hilarious. And also, I just, I want to point out, I did a sermon one time on the scripture passage, and I did some research on Lazarus. Um, so for Sunday school teachers, here's just a little nugget for you. Um, Lazarus, we know, according to scripture, left Jerusalem after his um, resurrection because the Jews were seeking to also kill him because people were coming to Christ, believing in him because he was raised from the dead. Um, and tradition holds that I think it was, he ended up becoming the Bishop of Kidron area um, is where he ended up. And one of the tradition states that after Lazarus was raised from the dead, he never again smiled because of the things that he saw on the other side of the grave. He was so concerned for human souls and what was going to happen to them if they didn't believe in Christ, that he never again smiled. The only time it says that he ever smiled was when he was at a marketplace and there was a, a vendor selling um, little clay pots and somebody came up and stole a clay pot and ran away and he smiled and he said, ah, the clay steals the clay. It's a good one. I thought that was awesome. That's so just a little extra, extra nugget for you. Very good. So then she also brings up how tensions are beginning to get thicker. Yes. Right? So now yeah. things start going quicker between the Pharisees and Jesus after this. And we, we're going to have John Parks at Holy. They really start yeah. button heads, button heads, button heads. I do like that last sentence in this section because I hadn't ever considered this to be a foreshadowing thought that Jesus, she says the foreshadowing continues as Jesus inquires of Lazarus, where have you laid him? The same question later asked by Mary Magdalene about Jesus himself. Yeah. I, I had I never considered that part of foreshadowing, but that, that was a really cool thought. Oh, good. Yeah. Good it's job. this, it's this sense because it's, it's set up with Thomas in the, in the disciple when Jesus is saying, Hey, friends, yeah. God, we're going to stay. And then, um, when Jesus says we're going to go to Bethany, all the disciples are like, ah, don't you know, they want to kill you there. And Thomas even says, well, let's go and die with him. Right. So right. Exactly a point in which John is now turning to like, he set up the conflict. Now he's turning to the conflict and then the rest yep. of John, we're going to be um, looking at the final week and you know, that all that good stuff. Yep. Um, we talked about the I am statement, so I don't want to bring up those discussion questions i want to go on to the learning from the scripture witness of the church yeah. um i like that first paragraph at the heart of today's story is jesus declaration i am the resurrection and the life believing in him jesus goes on to say changes both our lives and our deaths this revelation is followed by a question do you believe do you believe and mm -hmm. i think that's important i mean it, it does come yeah. down and i think what jesus is this is where your Sunday school teachers can become all Billy Graham. <laughs> At the end of the book of John, he, he also writes, all of these things are written that you might believe. John is not saying, here's a biography of Jesus. John is saying, I am writing that you might believe that Jesus Christ loves you, died for you, and was risen again. This is not, mm -hmm. this is, this is different than the book of Luke in some sense, where Luke is probably more historically accurate. John never really claimed to be. John was saying, I am writing this so that you believe in Jesus Christ and in him, you can have eternal life. Yeah. 
so you understand the divinity of who he was absolutely yeah. john is making a statement so like this mm -hmm. is another time where i don't care about metaphor like if people just say like the life of christ is a metaphor or he's just a good teacher no i can't because i just i think john wrote for the purpose of saying this is the divine messiah that's come to die to live so that you might live as well yes absolutely i totally agree with that and that's and that living well okay now we can get into your george Strait. <laughs> <laughs> impersonation between living and living well yes yeah so there is a huge difference and and living well means again just kind of i hit on it earlier that you understand that the kingdom is here it's just not yet we're living in we're a part of the kingdom of god that part of it that is here on earth that jesus established for his followers but it's just not yet consummated and it won't be consummated until christ returns but we can live with kingdom values kingdom principles kingdom mindset now and that and part of that is believing that jesus is who he claimed to be who he says he is and who john through his writing clearly points out to us that jesus is this divine messiah and we can live like that today just not just not it's just not fully here yet so if you're a stephen king reader some people mm. are some people aren't he has a series called the dark tower they tried to make a movie and it bombed terribly a couple years back but it's his magnum opus in some way it ties all of this stuff together you don't right. have to take notes on that but okay that's good so there's one big stephen king fan <laughs> okay fine whatever anyway there's okay, one scene and in, in the dark tower one of the main characters is called the gunslinger and he's this person who lives pretty much forever but his life is cyclical like he dies he comes back but he has to live through a bunch of disappointments and ultimately believes one day he'll not come back you know but anyway there's this scene where uh something bad's about to happen and it looks like he's gonna die anyway he says there's some things that are worse than death and the context is is that his life has just been filled with disappointments and heartaches and whatever and so in one sense he's living all i mean he lives for you know ever and he wants to die because he doesn't want to keep living these disappointments and heartaches because even he, though he knows they're coming he still feels them and he just wants to stop so there's some things worse than death and i think we can live lives if you know people who have gotten in situations in life where they can't get right i think is my dad used to have a nickname for people can't get right anyway there are things worse than death and living eternally isn't no fun unless you're have a meaningful purposeful pleasing in some sense existence it's not going to be cherries all the time but it doesn't have to be onions and tomatoes if you hate tomatoes like i do i was gonna say i like tomatoes <laughs> i get your onions but what about those tomatoes <laughs> But yeah. I think that's important to understand. Jesus yeah. offers not only a qual or quantity of life, but a quality of life. It's, yes. it's forever and it's good. And he invites yes. And when it, when people don't partake of it, it frustrates him and he cries, he weeps. And it's John that deep contrition. You. Yes, John yeah. implores you. See this yeah. Jesus person is giving a good life. Yes, yeah. And I think when you, when you live, 
with those values and that focus and living well and abundantly here and now, you see the world around you differently because you're growing and maturing spiritually. So you see the things that are happening around you in, in a completely different mindset. You know, it's, I had a conversation with somebody last week um, with an understanding that where I'm at now in my life, and it might've been you and I kind of had part of this conversation. I had part of this conversation with another person is instead of asking myself, why, why God, you know, why am I going through this? It's an understanding that what lesson am I supposed to be learning? And with the spiritual disciplines and understanding growing spiritually and understanding who Jesus is in my life, I've gotten to a point now where instead of waking up in the morning and saying, oh my gosh, I got to get this and this and this and this and this and this done. I start my day with, thank you, God, for giving me another opportunity to spread your light to be your hands and feet, to share the kingdom with those around me. And if you, and if you put that in your mindset, it totally shifts how you start your day and it totally shifts how you deal with the world around you, because then it's no longer centered and focused on you, but it's focused and centered on God. Yep. And you can live well and abundantly now. Yeah. And and it's better. Now that gets way deep. better. Yeah, yeah. Way better. Um, so, do you have anything else with that? I, I think I'm fine. I mean, it's just it's a good I think, life. Yeah, that was yeah. Live a good life. So, if we go to the applying the scripture section, it goes kind of to the where we began. What are miracles? Mm-hmm. Are they important? I've said yeah, they're they're important, and I think they're you know essential. So, Reverend Newell brings up Thomas Jefferson and his uh, you know, his yeah. uh, Deist Bible, pretty much. Uh, Thomas Jefferson famously removed all the miracle stories from the gospel. This left Jefferson with a Jesus who was a great storyteller, a wise teacher, and a faithful advocate for loving God and neighbors. What he lost is a truly divine Jesus, a powerful God who is actively engaged in the world's brokenness and pain, and who brings his kingdom to life in ways that sometimes defy explanation. Yeah. What do you think? What do, and then the discussion question, what do the miracle stories of Jesus add to your understanding of the gospel and your Christian faith? I think that comes back to when we were talking about the miracles at the beginning, that in our culture and our Western culture, we have scientific reasoning and we just try to explain everything away. And some things can't be explained away. Um, and understanding that that's, that's God working in our lives every day. You know, that, that is the gospel in our Christian faith working itself through us and through other people in the world around us. Um, and so it's not just, Jesus is not just, as you said before, just a great storyteller, wise teacher, and a faithful advocate. Um, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the divine. He was both human and divine as he walked here on the earth and he's coming back. Yeah. For me, I think it's the only way that I, because I, I can get upset watching the news, listening to CNN or Fox News. Oh, or gosh. Or yeah, especially like, the last few days, you know, with Ukraine, uh, yeah. really Ukraine, since Ukraine, praying 20, for our brothers and sisters there. Yeah, since 2016, honestly, it's been, it can oh. ramp me up. And every once in a while, I have to say, he's overcome the world. Like, I've read the end of the book. I know. You know, you, you know who wins. Right. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. And I, I saw Leslie Newbigin has a quote that says, I'm neither an optimist or a pessimist, but Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And, and so my hope, I'm not going to try to be an optimist because some things aren't worth being optimistic about. And I'm not going to be a pessimist because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And there's a new reality in Christ that I can live into. And I'm okay with that. I have to tell myself that almost every freaking morning after I turn yeah. on the radio or whatever and hear people talk. But I think that's the yeah. truth. And so I can, I can walk myself back from depression a little bit because I'm a stranger and alien in this world. Yes. Yeah. So totally agree. Yeah. All so right. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is risen. Rose from the grave. He is risen. Amen. indeed. That's right. We get to say that here in six, seven weeks. Yeah, yeah we do. Yeah. Uh, anything else there, Reverend? That's all I got. That was a really good, good lesson. I hope um, you all get some really good discussion out of this, um, understanding the miracles and what it means. All right. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And Reverend, I'll see you soon, I'm sure. All right. Bye. Bye.